Hello, and welcome to the What If It's Not Depression podcast. Whether you're here to learn about the root causes of depressive-like symptoms, wanting to know more about alternative solutions, or you're a biohacker looking to optimize your mental health and brain, this podcast is for you. I am Dr. Achina Stein, and I will be your host on your journey to resolving depressive-like symptoms and optimizing your mood. You're listening to the What If It's Not Depression podcast, hosted by Dr. Achina Stein. And she went from this vibrant, amazing woman, and she was still amazing, but she was tired and exhausted. And it took her three years to get out of that. And I was in residency, and I really wanted to help her, and I couldn't. What I found is that there's actually 33 potential causes that people have, and everybody has a combination of 20 plus of those causes, and everybody has a different combination. Figuring out your causes of fatigue is really the most important starting place because then you can actually, with laser-like efficiency, figure out how to treat each one of those causes. It's Dr. Achina Stein here on What If It's Not Depression podcast, and I am uh, welcoming Dr. Evan Hirsch, who is going to talk to us about fatigue, everything you want to know about fatigue. And he is a world-renowned fatigue expert and is the founder and CEO of the International Center for Fatigue. He suffered with fatigue for five years before he achieved resolution of all of his symptoms using the Fix Your Fatigue program that he pioneered in his medical practice. And through his best-selling book, podcasts, and online programs, he has helped thousands of people around the world optimize their energy naturally, and he is on a mission to help 1 million people more. So he is board certified in integrative medicine, and when he's not at the office, you can find him singing musicals. We were just singing just before we started, dancing and playing basketball with his family. Welcome, Dr. Hirsch. Thank you for joining us on my podcast, vodcast, What If It's Not Depression? And I hope we can actually find some ways to connect the overlap of depression and fatigue while we have this discussion, because there's a huge overlap, right? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about your own story is really, really profound and in what got you into this. I would love to hear about that. And the one thing that I really want to make sure we touch on is chronic infections, because you have an expertise in that. So I want to make sure that I plug that in your head so we don't miss that point. I, I did an interview with someone else. And it's like, darn, we forgot to talk about that. <laughs> so I'm putting it out there first. <laughs> Absolutely. I will make sure we don't forget about that. So my story started when I was three years old. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to go back that far. Um, <laughs> so, so when I went into, I graduated medical school and I went into residency, in family medicine, I met my wife and we fell in love. And three months later, she had chronic fatigue. Mm. And she went from this vibrant, amazing woman and she was still amazing, but she was tired and exhausted. And it took her three years to get out of that. And I was in residency and I really wanted to help her and I couldn't. 
I was asking doctors and whatnot, but there just wasn't much around in conventional medicine. We're talking about 2004, so it wasn't that long ago, but there wasn't that much around besides, is it a thyroid issue? Is it a severe um, organ dysfunction like liver, lung, um, cardiovascular? And so those were all things that we looked at and yeah, it wasn't those things. So finally she had to see a naturopath and she was able to figure out a little bit and she, she started getting on some adrenal supplements and did sauna and worked on her emotional health. And she was mostly better after three years. So we got married, um, had a child. I opened a medical practice, maybe not necessarily all in that order. And then a couple late years later, I had about 10 employees and 4,000 square feet of office space. And I was slowly going downhill and I didn't know why until I finally crashed out and I could barely keep my eyes open during the day. My brain fog was so bad that I couldn't help anybody. I couldn't remember anybody's name unless they were sitting right in front of me and I had their electronic medical record wow. and I had to keep hiring people to do my job for me. And then I was, I was crap at home. You know, my wife has this, we've got this new daughter um, who's a couple years old at this point and daddy play with me and I couldn't you know, help out with the dishes. I can't, I had so much shame and guilt come up. And then I finally said enough is enough. And I was a crap patient as well. I wasn't helping myself. I was eating well and, you know, gluten-free and I was already practicing functional medicine, but I knew that there were more causes out there. And I knew that if I found all of those root causes that I was going to be successful, I just didn't realize that it was going to take me resolving 30 causes in order to get to the place that I am today. And what I found is that there's actually 33 potential causes that people have, and everybody has a combination of 20 plus of those causes, and everybody has a different combination. So right. that's what I learned, and that's my story. Wow. So you counted all the causes that you specifically had. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and that, you know, I'm sure that a lot of those causes are probably overlapping with the causes of depression as well. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So with, can you, can you touch upon some of the causes with fatigue that seem to stand out most for you? Yeah. So let's kind of break them up into two categories. And I, and I should say that when I'm talking about 33 different causes of fatigue, do not get overwhelmed by that. It's a lot easier to actually talk about it. It's like 10 categories. And so that's the way we'll do it. Okay. All you have to know is that you just have to go after one at a time and you're going to be successful. So it doesn't matter how many there are. And it doesn't so, matter what order or does it? It does. It does matter what order. Yes. Right. And we'll talk about that as well. So when we're looking at these two categories of causes, we're looking at deficiencies. So things that aren't in the body that are supposed to be, and then toxicities, things that are in the body that aren't supposed to be. So when we're looking at those deficiencies, we're looking at deficiencies in hormones. So adrenals and thyroid and sex hormones, looking at deficiencies in mitochondrial function, which produces 70 to 80% of all of our energy and is found in every cell in the body, except for red blood cells. We're looking at deficiencies in nutrients like vitamins and minerals, deficiencies in lifestyle habits, which is like not enough water, not enough good sleep, not enough good food, not enough movement, and deficiencies in neurotransmitters, like not enough serotonin and not enough dopamine, not enough GABA, among other things that I know you're very familiar with. Right. And what's interesting about those deficiencies is that most of them 
are actually caused by the toxicities. So that's just a really important point right. because a lot of times, you know, you might be taking more vitamin D and it's helping you feel better or taking B12 or taking zinc or taking lithium or taking, you know, whatever, and you're feeling better, but you just have to remember that sometimes you don't have to take that supplement if you're actually dealing with the toxicity, which is kind of the cause under the cause or the why under the why. Right. right. So sometimes you need to take those deficiencies because you've got genetic issues or whatever. Sometimes it's this toxicities, these environmental things. Right. So then those toxicities are things like heavy metals. You know, 100,000 pounds of mercury are dumped into our oceans every year that we're, we're um, exposed to. You know, 70% of all lipsticks have lead in them. You know, chemicals like 84,000 different chemicals we're exposed to on a regular basis. You know, before you leave your house in the morning, you've been exposed to about 300 to 500 different chemicals from plastics to pesticides to cosmetics, whatever it is. Right, right. When we're looking at things like mold, over half of the buildings in first world countries have water damage. Most of those have mold, whether it's a um, uh, and it can be any place that you've ever lived in, whether it's a leak in the roof or a flood in the basement or a busted pipe in the wall. If you ever lived in a place that had one of those, it's very likely that you have mold. And it's kind of this accumulation of these toxins over time. People will say, you know, I know the exact date when things went sideways. But the reality is, is that probably was the straw that broke the camel's back. But there were like five things before that throughout your life that were stressors that ended up causing that problem. So that's heavy metals, chemicals, molds. I'm only going to touch on a couple more and then you can interrupt me. Um, <laughs> heavy metals, chemicals, molds, infections. So the CDC talked about, they changed their tune a couple of years ago where actually it's not 30,000 new cases of Lyme per year. It's actually 300,000. And that doesn't include a lot of the Lyme co-infections like Epstein-Barr virus or Babesia and Bartonella that play huge roles in mood issues, depression and anxiety that I'm sure we'll get into later today. And then there's um, allergies to foods and to inhalants. And then there's electromagnetic frequencies, electromagnetic fields. And then of course there's negative, last but definitely not least, negative emotional patterns. So whether it's, you know, you had some sort of significant trauma, um, you had ACEs or adverse childhood events or what I call ALEs, adverse life, life events, because it doesn't have to be just when you're in childhood. But a lot of these things will change the way that you look at the world and contribute to those, you know, 80% of all the thoughts that we have are negative. And so if you're just kind of, if you're, if, if you have negative things happen to you, it just kind of feeds into those things, unfortunately. And so in our program, we have nervous system retraining and limbic system retraining in order to use the neuroplasticity of the brain, our ability to change the brain. Um, using mindset stuff and other things in order to be able to have success in every single aspect of the things that cause fatigue. Absolutely. Wow. You covered the whole game right there. <laughs> I was tiring. <laughs> and I think you even did it in one breath. <laughs> <laughs> That's the singer in me. <laughs> yeah. How does anyone even know that they're fatigued? You know, you know, Tell me. It's a, it's a good question. So, you know, a lot of people as, you know, as humans, we adapt. And so we think that we're just getting older or I'm tired because I'm not eating well. That can definitely be part of it. But generally, if you're getting seven to nine hours of sleep a night and you're still tired during the day, you wake up and you don't feel great. You're relying on caffeine in order to get you through the day. Maybe you're napping. Maybe your energy is crashing throughout the day. There's a problem. 
And you don't have to, you don't want to wait until your body's yelling at you because you can't get out of bed anymore. And it's going to negatively affect every aspect of your life before you reach out and ask for help. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's sometimes really hard to treat certain types of fatigue. You know, why, why do you think it's hard to treat some types of fatigue and not others? Do you think it's just because it's an, an accumulation over time uh, that, uh, that people have uh, long-term symptoms of fatigue, or do you think it's because they have a, a burden of all the different causes uh, accumulating, you know? So everybody who has fatigue has a combination of all of the causes that I mentioned. If, you, if your fatigue is really awful, like MECFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, myalgic encephalitis, then oftentimes you have more causes and you have more severe causes. So the 20 plus that I talked about, if your fatigue isn't so bad, but you know, like you need a coffee in order to kind of get through your day, but take it or leave it, it you know, you're still able to function and whatnot. Maybe you just have 10 causes. Mm-hmm. So, but the reason why it's so hard to treat is because everybody has different causes and everybody has multiple causes. You know, when we were in medical school, we were taught, um, you know, about Occam's razor, where it's kind of like this idea where there's, you know, there's one diagnosis to explain a lot of symptoms, Mm -hmm. but it just doesn't work that way. You know, I'm talking about like, you know, 33 different essentially diagnoses or different causes that are end up causing the symptoms of fatigue. So it's kind of like the opposite, but you know, if you've got 20 different causes and the causes that you have and the causes that Joe Schmo over here have are very different, guess what? your treatments are also going to be very different, which is why it's so important to figure out if there's, this is the biggest takeaway of the, of the talk right now Mm -hmm. is that figuring out your causes of fatigue is really the most important starting place because then you can actually with laser like efficiency, figure out how to treat each one of those causes. Right. Right. You can actually, if you know what your specific causes are, then you can uh, basically reverse engineer, you know, each of those causes and just eliminate one at a time, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Absolutely. is that what you call, um, I know you have uh, levels of fatigue that you've talked about, you know, so what is like a level one problem and what are the three levels of fatigue? I'm assuming that that's kind of connected to those levels. That's perfect. Yeah. So a level one problem is a fatigue problem that is resolved by changing your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So you see, you're not sleeping seven or nine hours of sleep a night. You're staying up until 11, 12 o'clock at night, start going to bed at 10, getting seven to nine hours of sleep. You kick the cat out of the room, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so it's right. not waking you up in the middle of the night. So you're getting good sleep. You start drinking three liters of water a day. You start moving more. Maybe you get a pedometer and you're getting 10,000 steps a day mm-hmm. unless you're fatigued. And then that makes you feel worse. So don't do that. If you're really fatigued and it makes you feel worse. Um, or you, and you're, and you start eating better food. So you're getting rid of grains and sugars and all that crap. And then, um, and that, and you get better. That's a, that's a, a level one problem. If you're still not better and you've done all that stuff, which is most of the people who I see, then you probably need to fit, you probably have deficiencies that you need to fix. So that's a level two problem is if you fix the lifestyle habits and then you fix the deficiencies Mm -hmm. and then somebody gets better, that's a level two problem that they had. A level three problem is if you have to go after the toxicities. And this is most of the people that I work with, um, most challenging folks. Yes, yes. And it takes much longer. And it's, it's really hard work to really 
go after search and destroy all of those causes um, because it just it does tend to become a little bit more complicated when you are level three. So I, I kind of see the same, the same pattern, you know, when it comes to a root cause of depression, level one, yeah. two, three, just the way you described it. Yeah. There's a lot of overlap here that of what we do together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know you have a system, but let I don't even want to go there yet. I want to talk about those <laughs> chronic infections. I want to make sure we hit those infections because you really have a, a, a really strong expertise. So tell us more about chronic infections, because I don't think people really understand what a chronic infection is in comparison to an acute infection. You know, it's like, what do you mean? I don't have a fever. What do you, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't have chills and uh, I don't have pus coming out of me. Well, maybe they do, but you know, (laughs) certain, certain chronic infections do have like that chronic sinus congestion and post-nasal drip or um, you know, some, some women have chronic vaginal discharge, you know, and they just kind of live with it. They live with these symptoms, right? So, yeah. So tell our audience about the difference between an acute and chronic infection and some of the chronic infections that you see over and over again that can cause or contribute to fatigue. Yeah, great question. So an acute infection is a short-term um, infection like the flu, you know, or like a cold, you know, you have it for a short amount of time and then it's done and then you get back to baseline. A chronic infection, and chronic just means long lasting, is an infection that lasts for a long period of time and it doesn't just go away on its own. You have to do something in order to get rid of it for the most part. And so the chronic infections that we look at that would be especially pertinent to your audience would be some of the Lyme type infections because I am shocked at how many people that I see who have infections affecting their mood, Hmm. right? Right. And so sometimes they're infections in the gut, like yeast causing some brain fog and they'll have, you know, itchy on the skin, itchy ear, itchy anus, in addition to some mood issues, depression and whatnot. Sometimes it can be other bacteria in the gut as well. But the real big ones that I see are these stealth infections, Mm -hmm. which are like Lyme type infections, you know, and even the CDC says that these infections are really clinical diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So the labs sometimes can help, but for the most part, it's more about your symptoms. Mm -hmm. And what I found with all of these causes of fatigue is about 75% of these causes can be determined by symptoms alone. Okay, so symptoms are really important. So you have to pay attention to what you're experiencing so you can convey that appropriately to your practitioner. So when we look at some of these infections and the symptoms that they cause, let's start off with Borrelia, which is also known as Lyme. Mm -hmm. And you can't have Borrelia unless you have two symptoms. The first one is symptoms that move around the body. So this is either muscle pain, joint pain, or nerve pain that let's say one day is here. And then a couple of days or a couple of weeks later, it's like now it's down in the knee. So it's moving around the body. And then the other symptom is symptom is symptoms that come and go. So basically if you have bad days, but then you have worse days, because most of these people, it's like bad and worse. And you don't know when those worst days are going to come. And so you feel like you can't really schedule an appointment with somebody or a friend or go for a walk because you don't know how you're going to feel. Right. So that's like Borrelia. When we look at Bartonella, 
which is found in upwards of 50% of all domestic animals. So your cat, your dog, whatever, it's very common in vets and people who work in the veterinary fields. Um, if animals ever licked you in the face, it's very likely that you may have Bartonella, but you don't have to necessarily have symptoms of Bartonella until you get like what we called when we talked about like the um, when the straw that breaks the camel's back, right. right? When you have an accumulation of heavy metals, chemicals, molds, infection, stress, whatever it is, all of a sudden the infections become opportunistic. They start taking over. They start causing these symptoms. So with Bartonella, oftentimes you're going to get a combination of some of the following symptoms. So you may get body pain, usually misdiagnosed as fibromyalgia. You may get neck pain and headaches like um, that oftentimes can cause migraines. You may get sleep problems, hard time falling asleep and staying asleep. This is also when you'll get anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And I'll have some people who will tell me and we'll get to Babesia in a second, but they can tell the difference between depression and anxiety from Bartonella and depression and anxiety from Babesia, interestingly mm -hmm. enough, when those different infections are flaring. You can also have pain on the bottom of the feet, usually misdiagnosed as plantar fasciitis. And oftentimes people will have cramps, usually happening at night, usually in the calves. Oftentimes they'll go away by drinking more water, eating a banana, taking potassium, taking magnesium, but it still is oftentimes caused by this infection. So, and then thyroid issues are very common. Now you don't have to have all those symptoms. You can have a couple, you can have like pain on the bottom of the feet, cramping, and then a hard time sleeping, or you can have the anxiety and depression, and then also maybe some cramping. So it's just something that you want to look at. And I do have a quiz on my website on Bartonella. So you can go ahead and you can check that out and see if you have it. Great. And then Babesia is the one that's really important when it comes to mood issues, because it'll cause depression to the point of suicidal thoughts, mm -hmm. and it'll cause anxiety to the point of panic attacks. Yeah, I've seen people with rage attacks um, mm -hmm. with, uh, from Babesia. So yeah, significant rage attacks. Yeah, it's amazing how it can really take over your mind sometimes. And the way people will know if they have it is not just the mood issues, but oftentimes they're usually the hottest person in the room. So they're feeling very warm all the time, as opposed to Bartonella, which is oftentimes they got cold hands and feet. Mm -hmm. And then they'll also have some shortness of breath, air hunger, where they feel like they can't get a deep breath. Sometimes there's like a bit of a lung tickle or a cough mm -hmm. that's contributing. Um, and then, and sometimes they're, they have spontaneous sweating that, that comes in cycles. So sometimes it's like every day they might sweat right. spontaneously, or sometimes it's like once a week or once a month. So those are, those are some of the main ones. No, oh, no. Yeah. You've reminded me of a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's hard to stay on top of the literature that comes out to keep on top of some of these things as well. What is, what is the exposure rate in terms of, of across the country? Cause I know you're you're out in California, right? Washington State, Washington yep. Street. You're the West Coast. You're out on the West yeah. Coast. I'm on, on the East Coast. So I'm curious. I know there's certain species of Borrelia that have made their way across from the West Coast to the East Coast. And sometimes Lyme panels don't actually test for all the species. So you could have Lyme disease, but not actually pick up the Lyme disease that you have because you're not doing the test that covers all the different species. 
uh, and it's because it's been thought that only certain species live on certain regions, but it seems to be that it's now across the country, all the species. I'm not 100% sure. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. You know, and so the, the challenge is testing for the right species. Um, but then the, the other challenge is having a good test, which is why the CDC really says that it's a clinical diagnosis, because generally the main test that is that people look at is a Western blot or the ELISA test, and then you reflex to the Western blot. But what this is looking at is a, the immune system's reactivity to the bug, but only one subspecies of the bug. Right. And it counts on having an intact immune system. Well, if you've got heavy metals, chemicals, molds, infections, you don't have an intact immune system and all bets are off. The other thing that sometimes people will look at is a PCR test, which is looking at the DNA of the bug. If you're looking at that in blood, the bugs oftentimes are hiding in places that cannot be seen. So they're in the tissues. They're not in necessarily in the blood. You're not going to get an accurate test. The best test that I have found is a urine test because um, you can actually provoke this bug from getting out just by exercising or getting a lymph massage and kind of pushes it out. But the test is $650 and it's still not perfect. Mm-hmm. So the clinical diagnosis is still the same, but there are problems. Uh, and, and that a lot of that is the clinical diagnosis is still the best way of doing it because there are problems with the testing. Right, right. And what, what is the urine test? That so the urine t- it's called DNA connections. Okay. So yeah. DNA connections with an X. So C O N N E X I O N S dot com. I think you don't need a doctor's order in order to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. You can just go to that website. You can order the Lyme panel, and you can you can do it at home, and that can give you some data potentially. Um, it's usually yeah. So it is the best test I believe that is out there. So that is a potential for you. The best test, even more, even better than the the blood test. You're saying? Absolutely. Oh wow! Yeah, because uh, I I've been told, and I've you know I've told patients that the best test, and so now you know you're you're on top of it more than I am because I don't really uh, I don't treat Lyme. I do tests for it, but it, like I said, it's kind of hard to stay up on what's the best test, and so I'm glad to have you. Um, to talk about this, um, Igenex, which is out in California, um, they uh, have been touted to be the best company for doing the testing. They're quite expensive, so don't really use them unless people are willing to really, you know, pay pay that kind of money, um, which is upwards of two, th- you know, over thousand, sometimes two thousand dollars for the entire panel, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you want to do. The, the whole line panel with the co-infections. And then there's Vibrant Wellness um, that has their uh, line panel, which they just launched their Tickborne 2.0 uh, panel, which is $799. So it's it's kind of hard to know, like, okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm not familiar with the, the DNA connection. So I'm going to have to look, at, look into that. Yeah. You're right. You know, the Igenix has been touted as, you know, the best one out there. And I think that they do a nice job. But there are concerns that, you know, it is a serology test. And what a lot of people forget is that you never have Lyme in isolation. Like, first off, it's never just one bug for the most part. And number two, if you have Lyme, it's because of other things that have enabled the immune system to become dysfunctional, whether it's negative emotional patterns, trauma, 
uh, or heavy metals, chemicals, or molds that have all stressed out the human organism to the point where all of a sudden these bugs can become opportunistic because, you know, in perfect balance, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, but we're in this human form, we're 90% bug cells and 10% human cells. And we have a very nice balance when things are working correctly. Right, right. In fact, you know, there's plenty of people who live in a, in a tick infested area and they don't get Lyme, right? right? Why? It's because of the strength of their immune system and that, and they probably have a really good balance. You know, I talk about it as having doors and, uh, and windows on their houses with locks on them and then uh, a fence around their yard. You know, some people, you know, don't have their, their, it's like they live in a bad neighborhood and their house is boarded up and, you know, it becomes a crack house or something, you know, it's just, people just walk in whenever they want. There's nobody watching, right? It's just, uh, like you said, it's an op, they, they're opportunistic in a sense, you know? And so, mm -hmm. It is being able to build up that barrier that's really, really important. Yeah. So, Agreed. yeah. So, uh, any other infections that you haven't talked about that you think are important to know about? So, Epstein Barr virus is one, you know, large lymph nodes under the chin, sore throat, fatigue, and general malaise. Um, that's one that causes mononucleosis generally, though mono can also be, which is like kissing disease as people refer to it, but you can also get mono from CMV or cytomegalovirus. There's other viruses as well, like HHV6. There's some other bacteria like mycoplasma, anaplasma, ehrlichia. Mm -hmm. These, these all can be complicit in this whole toxic soup that right. ends up getting created. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, how is, how, what's the order of treating if you have, and you know, I'm sure you've had this situation. I've had patients that have had the entire gamut, right? <laughs> you know, where they've had a parasite, a worm, candida, um, gut dysbiosis, um, and, and uh, viruses, multiple viruses. Do you have a specific order that you, um, uh, uh, you know, basically attack these um, and destroy these uh, pathogens? Um, or do you do something else first? <laughs> I do. So, and so I'm going to, I'm going to go to my four-step process because I right. hope to explain it. Yeah. So the first step, if you haven't guessed it yet, is to find out the causes that you have. Right. So that's the most important thing. So with everybody who comes into our program, they get the workbook and they go through step one in the workbook. And, you know, within an hour, they know 75% of their causes, which is huge because then you can be more focused. And then the 25%, you can get the labs as you go through the program. Mm -hmm. So then the step two, though, even though this process is all about step four, which is removing the toxins, removing the heavy metals, the chemicals, the molds, the infections, even though it's all about that process, this, this next step is about replacing the deficiencies. And the reason why is because you have to get robust enough, you have to get strong enough in order to be able to be successful in step four, because what step four and those toxicities have done is they have damaged the mitochondria. They have squashed the hormones. They have decreased your neurotransmitters and they've 
you know, upset your balance of vitamins and minerals. So all those things have to be boosted up first so that you can feel better and your body can be more resilient. You can have greater stamina so that eventually when you get into step four, you're going to be more successful because when you start removing these things, it's very stressful on the body. So you have to be able to deal with stress appropriately. The adrenal gland produces cortisol as well as other stress hormones. That's incredibly supportive for regulating a lot of the stress in the body. Right. So step one is assess the causes, right? Step two, replace the deficiencies, right? And then, and then step three, we're going to open up the detoxification pathways. So this is really important because if we want to remove the toxicities and let's say they're living in the tissues and we pull them into the bloodstream or into the lymph, which is the garbage system of the body and they're full, can they get out of the body? No they go right back into a different compartment in the body. So we have to make sure that these detoxification pathways, which are really stuffed, mm -hmm. if you're having any of these issues and you don't feel well, you're, you have to start opening them up. So you start off with opening up the intestines and making sure you're having a, a good bowel movement twice a day. You wanna make sure that the liver is well supported, the kidneys, the lymph, like I said, which is the garbage system of the body doesn't have its own pump. Right. So you need to make sure that you're moving, you're exercising, you're rebounding, you're jumping. If you can, if you're not super fatigued and you can't get out of bed so that you it can- <laughs> You say all the same things I say. <laughs> That's right. It's all the same stuff, you know, like all these different causes, you know, it's like this functional medicine, environmental medicine right. um, situation. So, yeah. So you want to make sure in step three that you're opening up those detoxification pathways, because once you step into step four and you start pulling these things out, you want to make sure they have a place to go to get out of the body. So then when you're going into step four, the question is, well, which, which cause do I go after first? So we always go after mold first. That's absolute number one. And then the second one that we go after is going to be the symptoms that are most prevalent. And this is where we start. I don't want to say chasing symptoms, but this is where we start paying very close attention to the symptoms and how you respond. Because what ends up happening is that let's say with infections, somebody has certain symptoms, we, we start going after, let's say Bartonella, they got pain on the bottom of their feet, muscle cramping when they fall asleep at night and they have a hard time sleeping. So we start going after Bartonella. They start getting better or they start getting worse. And so that indicates to us that we're on the right track. If they start getting better, it's great. We're using the right treatment. If they start getting worse, it basically means that they're having die off, that they're feeling worse because the bugs are dying. They're releasing their crap into the body. And step three needs more support because you're releasing the crap and then it's not able to get out of the body. And you just feel bad because you're being exposed to more of this crap. Hmm. Crap is a technical term, a medical term, by the way. <laughs> so that's how you know that, okay, I got to, I got to go back to step three for a second and just do some more boosting in order to open up the panels uh, pathways a little bit better in order to be able to go after it. The other thing that ends up happening too, is what I call the whack-a-mole effect. Hmm. So if you've been to any sort of carnivals or whatnot, you know, that game where you got to, you know, something yeah. and you're, popping them down and they're popping back up and whatnot. So what ends up happening with these infections, which is very interesting, is you start hitting one of them and oftentimes the other one will pop out. This is very common. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that sometimes they are, they are not individualized. They are a combination like Bartonella, Babesia, and Borrelia. Sometimes they're a combination. I call them Bortonesia. 
where, you know, we know about biofilm, which is kind of a hiding place for bugs and they can go under there and they can swap their DNA with each other and they can make these super bugs. So sometimes as you're going after one component, then the other one will pop out. So let's say we're going after Bartonella and those symptoms are getting better. They're sleeping better. They're having less cramps. And then all of a sudden they start sweating like crazy, mm-hmm. you know, or all of a sudden they're like, oh my gosh, I'm starting to have panic attacks. It's because you've unearthed the Babesia. It was going to come out at some point, but this way, then you're like, okay, now I have to start treating the Babesia and everything we do. Cause I operate across state lines as a coach. Everything is natural. Everything is supplement based. We're not using any prescriptions here. It's all herbs. Right. So then we start going then, then it start figuring out what bugs are popping out. And then you, and then you're kind of continuing down that path of making sure that you're addressing everybody who's presenting themselves. Wow. Yeah. So you take care of mold first and how long do you take care of the mold? Like, do you do it for three months, six months before you go after the other ones? Or, um, what, what is the turning point where you could say, okay, the mold is, being taken care of. And now we can now turn our attention to number two. So the, the mold is being taken care of when somebody is out of a moldy environment. Right. And they are taking what they need for mold binders and, and detoxifiers, um, antioxidants, stuff like that in order to bind up the mold and kind of pull it out. So once that happens, cause it's going to take six to 12 months for each step of this process. And so we don't want to wait that long and everything works better when we're addressing all these different components anyway. So you don't have to necessarily wait. You do want to get that stuff on board. And then like the next week you can start in on the next cause. Okay. So you don't, you don't have to wait. Oh, that's really good to know. Good. Yeah. That's always been a burning question of mine. Yeah. So when do you actually start transitioning to the next step? So then you do uh, Bartonella is your next step with the, what did you call it? Bartonella, Babesia. Bortonesia. Bortonesia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what's your next step after that? It really depends who's popping up, you know, at the same time while we're doing the, the mold, if there are heavy metals or chemicals present, which are done by the labs, we're going to be addressing those as well, because it's kind of like all these toxicities, I picture them like a, a toxic ball in the body, right. where once you start pulling certain things out, then all of a sudden the ball starts opening up and other things start getting released, which is why oftentimes people say, you know, I was treating candida and it released a bunch of heavy metal or I was treating heavy metal and a bunch of candida came out. So it's because they're all kind of combined in this matrix. When you start pulling them apart, so you want to make sure that you're able to address anything that's being released while you have binders on board and, and other different components in order to make sure that, that you're catching what's coming out so that you can make sure that you're not harming yourself in the process. Right. Yeah, I find that, that candida tends to hang on in, in the body because of high copper levels or high estrogen levels. Uh, you know, there are other things that keep, that keep the environment uh, hospitable for candida to hang around much, much longer. And it then tends not to respond to certain things uh, until, until you change the environment um, uh, by changing the pH or obviously taking out sugar or uh, removing some other pathogens that might be helping it along, so to speak. Yeah. 
And sometimes candida is mold or sometimes it's being fed by mold, Right. you know, so it's, yeah, it's, it, it can be challenging if, if, you know, you're going directly at something, you have to pay attention to what else might be playing a role. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It gets very, very complicated and it is mm -hmm. uh, looking at the whole clinical picture and being able to discern what's going on. And you have to sometimes take a step back and say, like, oh, wait a second, let's start, let's really review what's been done and what still needs to be done. And, and sometimes there's all these layers that, that kind of look alike sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. That can be tough yep. sometimes, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, you have given us a lot of information and I think you went through all four phases of your program, right? Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, the last thing I think is important to ask is like, how do you know if you can help or not help someone with fatigue? You know, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to probably say the same thing, but I want to hear what you have to say, because it's <laughs> the same question for me, how do, how do I know if I can help or, you know, or not help someone with depression, right? It's kind of probably the same answer, but I, I'm curious to hear what you say. So it really has to do, it comes back to the causes. So if you have found all of your causes and addressed them, you shouldn't have fatigue, mm -hmm. you know, you shouldn't have depression. And so it just means that you haven't found all of your causes. And yeah, there, there might be some, you know, there's, I know enough to know that I don't know much <laughs> and that the amount that we know about health and whatnot is like this much in a, you know, a stadium of a hundred thousand people. And so, um, I definitely know that there are other causes out there that we don't know much about that we're, I'm sure we're going to learn about, you know, COVID is now here. So then now we're seeing long haulers, people come into our program, you know, so that's, that's new. And that's something that we're learning about, but the approach is the same. Cause a lot of these people, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people have very poor immune systems. They have multiple deficiencies to help your immune system work optimally, especially when you're, you're dealing with so many different things. You're right, the straw that, uh, that broke the camel's back is usually why people end up getting COVID or not being able to come out of it. Like how some people you know, recover in, in a day if they even get it, if they even have any symptoms and others take much, much longer. And obviously, unfortunately, some people have passed on. Yes. Yeah. And, and just a quick note on that, you know, like those people who have COVID, like we know now that if you're still, if you've got long COVID or long haulers or post-acute sequelae of SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it, where you still have COVID months later, we know that live virus is still present. There was a study that was done that showed that 50% of all people who didn't have any symptoms, but they had COVID initially still had live virus in their intestines on intestinal biopsy. So we know, you know, most likely that 100% of those people who still have symptoms still have live virus. So the live virus needs to be addressed, but then the reason why they got it and it didn't, the immune system wasn't able to take care of it was because they had heavy metals, chemicals, molds, infections, allergies, negative emotional patterns, deficiencies, all those things, right? Right, exactly. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So Evan, Dr. Hirsch, I am so happy to have you here. You've given us a, a boatload of information about fatigue and, um, you know, really uh, the beauty of functional medicine 
is that no matter what the problem is, the approach is very, very similar in, in just the way that you described. So I really appreciate your time. Oh, Thanks. I have to remember to uh, let people know my listeners can get a hold of you through your uh, website, www.fixyourfatigue.com. And they can also find you on Facebook, Dr. Evan Hirsch, as well as on Instagram, The Fatigue Doc. Am I correct? That's right. Yeah, great. I, again, appreciate your time and I wish you well. And thanks again. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I hope that you will join me in the future. If you are interested in working with me, please go to www.achinasteindo.com to book a discovery call. There you may also download for free the first three chapters of my book. I hope my work enlightens you, gives you hope, and moves you forward on your journey to a better mood and fun.